I've been getting asked a bunch in the last few weeks, okay, how do I delegate more effectively? So here it is on today's show, how to delegate work and the seven steps you should follow. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 117. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity, the people side of business and organizations. And one of the key things that all of us need to do, I was going to say most of us, but really at the end of the day, it is all of us need to do as those who have leadership and management responsibilities is to be able to delegate work. And if we're not good at doing that, it catches up with us pretty quickly, especially when we get into any kind of position of responsibility, because not only should we not do everything ourselves, but we can't do everything ourselves. And that's not really our role anymore when we take on the job of managing others. And I should mention up here up front before getting into the nuts and bolts about delegation that this is really a management topic. And I do try to draw the distinction between leadership and management in this show. And even though, uh, you know, the show's called Coaching for Leaders, we all are doing management type tasks, at least most of us on a pretty regular basis. And leadership is all about setting the strategy of communicating well, motivating people to get there, and management's kind of the day-to-day. How do we actually get there? And we're going to talk about that distinction more in an upcoming show, actually, in the very near future. Um, But today, really the nuts and bolts now of, okay, how do we do that? So we know we need to delegate. We recognize, at least uh, you know, we should recognize, that we can't do everything ourselves, and we want to empower others to be able to do the work and to eventually be able to replace us if we move on to another opportunity or we continue to advance our careers, which is always part of, you know, our ongoing career development as well as leaders. How do we delegate? And this is something that let me tell you, I didn't I didn't get a good framework for when I became a manager for the first time. And I think for a lot of us, we just don't ever get a good framework for this. So I'm hopeful today that some of my experience here of having uh, trained this for many years and worked with a lot of managers will be helpful in giving all of us a good framework to start from in how we delegate to others. Now, for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you may remember back in episode number 53, I talked broadly about how to empower others. And I didn't specifically talk about delegation, but I talked broadly about three areas that I think that all of us need to do when we're empowering others to do work. And so those three broad areas are, first of all, doing the planning and expectation setting piece of it, uh, doing some regular check-in and accountability, and then ultimately there being some result of that. So some for lack of a better term, consequences. So, you know, something good comes out of that and there's a good consequence or something, you know, not as ideal comes out of that. And there's a consequence of, you know, doing some more training or more coaching or, you know, in some cases, maybe even a more negative consequence if the result really isn't good. But those three elements are really part of delegation. So that planning, the expectation setting, that kind of the front end work, the regular check-in and accountability And then, of course, the final piece, you know, what comes out of that, what consequences, and what does that mean next for a person's career, 
moving forward, what's the next step, or what's the step we need to move back on in order to help that person to be more effective in what they you know, should be more effective at. And so I should mention up front here that I'm going to spend the bulk of the time in this show talking about that first piece. So the planning, the expectation setting, the actual setting up of delegating work to somebody. And frankly, that is probably the place we should spend the most time as a manager. Uh, And it is also probably the place that most managers spend the least amount of time. Uh, In my experience, at least, a lot of managers spend time kind of talking about it as it's happening, as the work's already been delegated. And then after the fact, either close to the deadline of whenever the project or the work is due or or at the deadline or after the deadline. And then some of the conversations happen that really should have happened up front. And so as you are listening to these seven steps that I'll walk through on how to delegate, one of the things that's probably going to happen, especially if you've spent any time delegating work before, is you're going to probably think to yourself, man, that's a lot of work up front in order to delegate something. And if you have that feeling, uh, know that that's a really normal reaction to this process, and that's actually a pretty good reaction because it should seem like a lot of work up front. The goal, though, is by doing more work up front that as effective managers, we can minimize the amount of work and the amount of unclear expectations and rework and errors and conflict that happens down the road. Now, we're never going to eliminate those things, but we can greatly reduce them by being very clear up front on what we're delegating, why we're delegating it, and the framework that we want people to work within. And so these seven steps will help get us there. They're not going to be perfect in every situation, but if you start with this seven-step framework, it will provide you with some a wonderful roadmap for being able to hit all of the key things. And if you can hit the key things, you're probably doing 80 or 90% better than most managers out there. So let's start at the very beginning. Step number one is what does success look like? So that's the place that we want to start ourselves as a manager when we're thinking about something that we want to delegate is what is the end goal that we're looking for? You know, Stephen Covey said, you know, 20, 20, 25 years ago, begin with the end in mind. And that's great advice when we're thinking about something we want to delegate. If it's a, if it's a particular work item, uh, if it's a process, if it's a larger project, you know, what exactly is the end result that we're looking for? And that end result, we should consider three lenses to look through that on and make sure that we define those. So one of those lenses is time. Uh, With just about anything that we're going to delegate, there's going to be something that's going to be time related to it, either a certain amount of time that the person has to complete that process or procedure, or if it's a project, how long do they have in order to complete the project or to hit certain milestones. So that's something that we want to be very clear about. There is no better way to ensure something gets on someone's back burner than to tell them, that there's no deadline or that be just to be very unclear about when uh, when the deadline is. And I'm thinking about this myself right now. I have a voicemail from a friend who's been on my on my voicemail box here for, I don't know, two or three weeks. 
And the reason I've left it there is because she said in the email, she said in the voicemail, hey, no rush getting back to me. I know you're busy. And so take all the time you need to get back to me. And of course, now that's the one message I haven't returned, even though it's been weeks. And so, but that's human nature. So if we don't have a deadline, if it's just kind of left, uh, it's left to the other party to decide how long they have, then things probably aren't going to move forward very quickly, if at all. So that's something we want to be really clear is what's the time frame that we need something completed by. Another lens that absolutely we want to consider is cost. So what budgetary guidelines does this person need to work with? And so that could take on a number of different paths, by the way. So that could be time in of itself, as in staff time, of how much time is being billed or charged to that particular process or that project. It might be that some uh, something's being purchased or procured as a part of that project or plan. So you want to be thinking through what is the cost budgetary guidelines that that person needs to work within. And, um, you know, and then as well, just, you know, actual project budget. So if it's a entire project, what kind of budgetary guidelines does that person have? Um, what can they, you know, what can they purchase without needing to approve? Those kinds of things are the things we're going to definitely want to be thinking about. And then third and finally is quality. And this is probably the hardest one to define um, because these are some of the things that sometimes are a little bit more, you know, in some projects, they may be very clear what the quality metrics are. But on other things, especially if it's something that's being done for the first time or for a new customer, whether that customer is internal or external, some of those things may not always be 100% clear up front. But what you'll need to do as a manager is to get as clear as, as you can on what those quality outcomes are. So what exactly, what types of things does that project need to, what expectations does it need to meet, what does it need to do, um, what standard does it need to um, be performing at in order to be considered acceptable by the organization or the customer. So uh, that can take on a lot of different uh, lenses depending on what kind of kind of work your organization does and who your customers and your clients are. But those three things are all a part of defining what success looks like, time, cost, and quality. Now, here's the thing. You're not going to define that while you're having a conversation with the person you're delegating to. That's a conversation you're going to have with yourself and planning you're going to do with yourself first, or maybe you'll do with some peers or some other people that are involved in this project or delegation or do some, you know, do some, get some mentoring from someone else who might have more experience with that. But you're not going to have that conversation with that person because you want to define that first for yourself. You want to get really clear on what success looks like. Then once you've done that, step two of the delegation process is figuring out who's the right person. Now, there's some nuance into figuring that out. So probably the most obvious thing to do is to figure out, okay, who's the best person for this particular job? And there's a lot of reasons why it's great to go to whoever that person is. Uh, you know, They know it the best. Maybe they've had experience doing it before. Maybe they're, most, they're the most responsible person on the team. They're the most organized. There's a whole bunch of reasons why you want to always go for the best person for the job first. And if that person can do it and it's available and that's that works in their schedule to be able to delegate that work to them, awesome. You know, that's really easy. Unfortunately, 
that's often not the case in my experience. Uh, usually the best person for the job has a lot of other responsibilities. There's other things that they are doing already for the organization. They're probably pretty valuable on other projects and other relationships, working on other responsibilities, and as they should be uh, if they're an effective person. And so one of the things you'll need to consider is what kind of resources do the people have as far as their time and their current workload that are on your team. And if the best person isn't available, which again, often they're not, you know, who else is available and who's really the right person right now that has the time and the resources to be able to take on this project or potentially take on this project. And this is a common mistake, by the way, of managers, particularly new managers, is to give everything that they need done that has any level of visibility or importance to it to the one employee or a couple of employees who are the most responsible, most most effective, most uh, proactive in their work. And that does work and that is effective up to a certain extent. The problem is, is that uh, some managers will overwhelm that person to the point where that person's doing substantially more work than the rest of the team ultimately gets overwhelmed. And I've seen it happen in many cases where that person becomes very disengaged and in some cases even leaves the organization because they have become the person that is tasked with anything that needs to happen in the organization. And that is flattering to a certain extent. But once someone's working crazy hours and they see other people around them on the team that aren't taking on more duties and roles and responsibilities, that becomes pretty demotivating very quickly. And so that's something to be very, very cautious of as a manager is to also be thinking about who else is on the team that may not yet have that skill set, but that you can develop so that they can, you can have other people on the team who also are able to do this task and this responsibility. So this is part of what you're thinking as a manager around succession planning is thinking, okay, you know, I've got this employee who may be able to do this job extraordinarily well, but I have someone here who's fairly new on the team, but they could learn how to do this. And yes, it may take more time for me to teach and do coaching and training to teach the skill, but then in the long run, that that's the better move for the organization and for the team because we've got more people then who are skilled at this. And then you've got strategy around doing some succession planning of having being able to fill different roles in different places. You know, many of the uh, many of the customers I work with are engineering technical folks, and they talk about uh, not ever having that single point failure system of if one person steps out of a role for whatever reason, either leaves an organization or or um, or takes a leave of absence or an illness or, or for whatever reason. If they leave and they're the only person that can do that work or you have you have focused everything around your whole team projects or even organizations responsibilities around that one person, that's that's not a really smart strategy to be utilizing as a manager or as a leader. And so that's something to really be thinking of is who is the right person? Step two here is not just who's the necessarily the best person for the job. Yes, if you have the most important project your organization has ever done, and, and and it's critical that that be done extraordinarily well, and this is a high visibility project, and everyone in your organization is going to be looking at it, by all means, get the best person involved on that project. Not every project's like that, though, and in fact, most projects aren't. 
other projects, you know, might, you know, might do well enough if someone did an A minus or even a B plus job. And that's what's going to happen the first time someone's doing something. And so that's where you'll need to think, is this the kind of project that I could maybe delegate to someone as a development opportunity to that fits in with my succession planning? So that's kind of all the things you're going to be thinking of when you think about who is the right person. So been through two steps already here. What does success look like and who's the right person? And notice we haven't even talked to that person yet. So all of this is happening before you even have a conversation with that person about what it is you're going to be delegating. And that is where step three starts. Step three is you want to communicate those expectations. So once you've chosen who the right person is, is you want to get clarity on those first three things we talked about. So you're going to talk with them about, of course, what the project is. What are the what's the timeline that you're looking at? What is the the budgetary guidelines and resources that they have available? And then what are the quality measures that you're looking at? So at the end of the project, whether that project's a week or a month or maybe even over the course of a year, what is the end expectations you're expecting? What do you want that um, what do you want that product to be able to do? What do you want that service to be able to do? What is uh, the client expecting? Uh, what is management expecting? What is a peer expecting? So those are the all the kinds of things you want to have detailed conversations uh, conversation about. And and depending on the scope of that, it may even be multiple conversations. If it, we're talking about doing a year-long project, that's going to be more than probably one conversation for 10 or 15 minutes. That's going to be an extensive conversation and probably a couple of conversations of communicating those expectations very clearly. Now, um, in, the, in a perfect world, that will all get in writing, you know, especially if someone's relatively new, doesn't have a lot of experience, or maybe you don't have a lot of trust built up with that person yet for any number of reasons. Um, and that's going to always be true to some extent as a manager. We're always going to come into situations where we've not worked with someone before. Maybe they're very good at what they do, but we just haven't gotten to work with them before. We haven't, we don't know their, you know, how they're going to work with us yet. And so, it's understandable that we're going to want to spend some time building trust. And so I think the more we can put in writing and just be very clear about what it is that we expect, the better. Um, now, the amount of visibility and complexity of the project is going to is going to indicate how much time you're going to spend here. So if it's a project that's going to last a week, you're not going to spend three days talking about it, right? Uh, communicating expectations. You know, you may spend a half hour, an hour, depending on you know what's involved in that project. And like I said a moment ago, if, if the project's over a year, you're obviously going to spend more than 10 or 15 minutes communicating expectations about what someone should be working on. And so all of that's going to come into practice of thinking, okay, what's the what what amount of visibility of this project does this have? Is this something that's really, really critical to the to the organization's uh, success and future? How complex is the project? How long is it going to take? How many people are involved? So it's all things you're going to think about. And when you think about how much time you're going to want to spend communicating expectations. Um, that said, at the end of the day, it's a gut call. You know, I would always err on the side of doing too much here though. So if you're not sure if you should spend, have, you know, one more conversation about making sure the expectations are clear, I'm of the belief that you're better off erring on the side of too much. Um, you know, when people are kind of repeating back to you what you've said, then you know you've gotten the message across. And particularly if it's a high visibility project or it's going to last over a long period of time, I'd rather have someone get a little frustrated with me because I've said too much up front as far as what the expectations are and maybe uh, maybe even hit that over the head you know, two or three times um, and gone a little bit too far on that. Then what I ra I'd rather have that happen 
than have get three or four months down the line on a project and have someone come back to me and say, well, I didn't know that this big piece needed to be done and we were never clear on that. So that's something to always to think about and communicating expectations err on the side of too much. Okay, so once you've done that, communicating expectations, either it's that you know brief meeting or maybe it's over a couple of days depending on the size of the project. Step four is the staff member plans the project. Now, let me say that again. The staff member plans the project, not you. So you set out the guidelines, the time, the cost, the quality. You talk with them about, you know, you figure out who the right person is. You communicate the expectations, but they actually plan out the details of the project. Now, the reason for this is you want to give them ownership over the work that they're doing. And if they are the ones who are actually creating the project plan and they're detailing out where they're going to spend their time, their resources, um, what the milestones are going to be that they're going to hit, how they're going to go about different aspects of the project or plan or service, then as long as that's within the time, cost, quality you know, metrics that you've set up in advance, that they then have ownership over that. And, you know, autonomy and having ownership is really a key thing. And many of you, if you've listened to the show, have heard me talk about the book Drive by Daniel Pink. It's a great book, by the way, on motivation. I think it's a book that every manager should read. If you haven't read Drive, it's one of them on my top 10 leadership books that I think every manager should should read. And one of the central concepts that Pink talks about in this book, and it's backed up heavily by research, is the importance of giving people autonomy, uh, appropriate levels of autonomy, in order for them to be engaged. If people have autonomy over their work to some, to, you know, to some extent, again, appropriately, not I'm not saying independence, autonomy is giving them the ability to be creative, to do things in the way they would do it, and maybe even do something a little differently or more effectively than you would have done it. And after all, that's one of the reasons you've hired them. That's why you've had them on your team. That's why you have them as a volunteer if you're in a volunteer organization, is you want them to be, you want them to bring themselves to this project and you want them to have full engagement over it. Uh, you know, the more we've created something, the more engagement we're going to have over it. So um, now, obviously, if there's a specific way something has to be done and there's no room for um, flexibility on that, by all means, give them the training on how that has to be done and set out that expectation. So if there is a certain process that has to be done a certain way, by all means, tell them how to do that. Give them the resources they need to do that. But even there, even there, let them figure out, you know, okay, how am I going to, you know, where the resource, how am I going to train myself? How am I going to start my planning? I mean, at least give them some ability to um, put themselves into that to some extent, whatever flexibility you can give on that. Um, but if not, and more often the case, I think that is true that it's not critical on exactly how they do it as long as they meet the overall goal of what a success look like. So, um, you know, that's that's the key thing is really have them do the planning. Now, what you're going to do next on step five, so you're going to send them back, send them out on step four, say, okay, I've gone through kind of the overall, um, here's what I want, here's why I've chosen you, here's the expectations now. Um, you're going to send them off and have them come back to you with the plan. And then step five is you're going to review that with them. So what you want to do is when they come back to you with the plan, 
is to review it and see if it meets the three outcomes for success. Does it meet the time frame that you have to, that you have uh, talked about and delegated? Does it meet the budgetary requirements? And can you anticipate based on what they've planned that it's going to meet those? And can you tell, at least to a reasonable extent, that based on their their plan, are they going to get to the metrics that you have established around quality and what this needs to do? And and you're going to review that. And if there's major gaps, that's the place where you're going to address them. So if someone has written a plan that is going to take them six weeks to implement and the project's due in three weeks, you're going to need to intervene there and do some pretty heavy coaching on, okay, this is not going to work based on your experience because, and you're going to say why, and then of course walk through and have, you know, either they're going to take that project back and redo it, or if they don't have a lot of experience with it, you're going to work with them directly to create that project plan. Um, and by the way, I should mention that back on step four, when we're talking about you know the staff member planning the project, doesn't necessarily mean they have to do that independent of anyone else. So they may go and find some other resources. They may go and find a peer or a mentor, or maybe they even spend some time talking with you about where they should start from and kind of setting that framework. So it doesn't mean they do everything on their own. It just means that they have ownership over it, okay? So you want to make sure that they're the ones asking the questions. They're the ones seeking out the resources. They're the ones going to talk to different parties so that they really create the architecture for that. Does that take longer than you dictating how to do it? Yes. In the long run, does it give them more ownership over how it's done and they know it really well then and are a lot more engaged with it? Absolutely. Almost always. So when you're reviewing that project plan, when you see those major gaps, by all means, you need to address those. That is your job as a manager is to step in if you see a gaping hole or something that is going to get them in big trouble or get you in big trouble. Ultimately, if you're delegating something, you're ultimately responsible for it. So um, it is your responsibility to step in if you see a major gap in the plan. And if you don't, shame on you for not giving them that feedback. So make sure to step in and give that feedback. Um, But more often than not, my experience is, is that those situations are actually pretty rare. More often than not, people have come to the table with a pretty reasonable plan. They've done some thinking through it. Um, they've, they've, if you've set up the expectations right, they generally are on target. Um, and what ends up happening is there's kind of a lot of minor stuff. So there's something that they want to do this way. And you know from experience, because you've tried it that way, that it's going to take them 20% longer to do it that way and that you could save them half a day if you told them right now, uh, don't do it that way, do it this way. Now, here's the thing. If it's a minor issue like that, resist the temptation to give that feedback. Resist the temptation to make it better unless you're specifically asked by them for feedback on that topic. Here's why. As long as they're going to hit the overall time objective, the overall cost and quality, let it be their plan. Yes, they're going to make mistakes along the way. Yes, they're going to learn from those mistakes. Yes, if you stepped in and gave them some feedback, you might make them 5, 10, 15% more efficient. But here's the thing. You will take away a ton of their motivation because then it isn't their plan anymore. Then it becomes your plan if you're changing lots of minor things once they brought the plan back to you. So again, the major gaps, address those. If they're going to keep them from hitting those 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 key objectives at the end, by all means, talk about those in great detail. Make sure that you've got a project plan that they're going to hit those. 
um, and and meet or exceed those with uh, you know a substantial level of confidence on your end. But if the issues are minor, if they're still going to hit the overall objectives, resist the temptation to make it better because you will take away some of their motivation. It's no longer theirs. Now, number six, step six, once you've got the project plan down, establish some milestones and some check-ins. So what's going to make you comfortable as a manager? Now, for me, if I am delegating something to someone I haven't worked with before, or maybe is pretty new in their position or doesn't have a lot of ex- you know experience in this particular project or, or work that they're doing, uh, my check-ins are going to be pretty frequent with them. So I'm not just going to send them off and have them do something for you know weeks or a month and not have any conversation with them. So I'm going to want to have some pretty regular check-ins. A- at the same time, if I'm delegating something to someone that I've maybe delegated this to three or four times before, and I have a lot of trust with this person, and I know they know how to do the project very effectively, and they've always turned in good results, I'm probably not going to check in with that person very much. I'm still going to check in, um, but it's going to be more informal and it's going to be less frequent. So the things that you're going to want to think of is when you're establishing milestones is think of what's the size of the project, what's the scope of this project, how many other people are involved, how much visibility does it have in your organization, and then, of course, the experience level of the person that is doing the work. And, And the goal, of course is you want to establish milestones up front because you want to hit the sweet spot of effective management and accountability. Um, And you want to keep from either swaying into micromanagement or country club management, which is the term that they use in the leadership literature. So let me explain what those two are. You know, micromanagement, we all know what that is, right? We've all been victims of that at some point in our careers. It's when someone delegates something to us and then literally every hour or every day they're checking in and asking, you know, where we are and did we do this and have we done it the right way? And they're just looking over our shoulder at every moment along the way. That is not a, uh, a formula for success. It drives people crazy to be micromanaged, and it's not something that we want to fall in the habit of doing as a leader. Um, at the same time, we also don't want to swing to the other side, which is called country club management, which is where you delegate something and you sort of forget about it or you just don't never check in, and it's a very laid-back kind of casual um, interaction about it, if ever in any interaction at all. And while not quite as maddening on the front end, just as problematic in the long run, because if you aren't checking in as a manager and you don't know where people are and they're about to go off a cliff on a project, that's bad for them and bad for you and just you know not helpful for the organization. You, you, people are going to make their mistakes, but you want to keep them from going off of cliffs so that you can make sure that the organization still gets a good result and that they get a good development opportunity from doing this project. And so the goal is to hit that sweet spot in between. Um, you know, And actually, uh, you know, if you have to err on one side, erring on micromanagement is probably the better way to go. Uh, you may remember our conversation back in episode 79. I had Michelle Smith on who works with OC Tanner, and they do recognition programs. And one of the things that the, we talked about the research in that show is, uh, you know, no feedback is worse than negative feedback. If you look at the research, I mean, positive feedback is the best by far, but people would rather get negative feedback than they would hear nothing at all. So if you got to err on one side, micromanagement would be the place to err on. But here's the reason for step six in establishing the milestones. I realize that was a little bit to getting here is if you set the milestones up front of how often you're going to check in, what the milestones are, when we're going to have conversations about it, 
it's a lot harder for you to micromanage. And even if the check-ins are pretty frequent, if the other party knows when that's going to be, it's less likely they're going to feel like they're being micromanaged because they already know in advance how often you're going to check in. They know in advance that you're going to come in daily and check in on their progress because you know, maybe they're fairly new in the, in the position and they're going to need that daily check-in. They know in advance that you're going to check in weekly on Friday mornings at the staff meeting on how they're doing and you're going to expect such and such a report of where things are. Or maybe they know it's going to be a monthly check-in and they're the ones that are responsible for scheduling that with you and reporting in on those milestones. So whatever milestone you set, if both parties agree to that up front, and again, this is before any of the work has started, you're having all this conversation on the front end. If those milestones are clear with both parties, it's very, it's very, very hard for you to micromanage because the person knows when you're going to check in and they also know when you're not going to check in, that you're not going to be hovering over them every hour of the day looking for information because you and they both know exactly when that communication piece is going to happen. And then finally, step seven, again, before any work even starts, is provide access to resources. So um, this is something that sadly is also often missed because it, it is something that seems obvious. And as a result, uh, I've seen a lot of managers just miss this piece because it seems so obvious and so basic that unfortunately, a lot of people just kind of glaze over it. They do a good job of setting expectations and establishing the milestones and all that, but then they don't think of, okay, do a, you know what do I need to authorize as far as budget to make sure this person has the resources that they need? Um, here's one that a lot of people miss is who do they need to get connected with in the organization? So, you know, you're running Project A with this party, but Project A requires them to add, it requires them to have some dialogue and get data from Project B, C, and D that other people are managing. Well, if B, C, and D managers or people who own those projects don't know that and aren't expecting this person to come asking for information, they're not going to be as likely to be as helpful or enthusiastic about giving information. And, and even if they are, you know, they may not know what it's for and it slows down the process. So there's nothing more frustrating than to get delegated a huge project, to have it all mapped out, and then to not be able to actually make any progress within the organization, either internally or externally, to be able to get results that you need. So one of the things you're going to need to think about from a management standpoint and and this is where you're going to put on your leadership hat too, is you know what are some of the internal politics that are going on that maybe you're going to need to help people navigate? I've been really, really thankful over the years when a manager has said to me, you know, you're going to need to work with this particular person on this particular aspect of this project. And just a heads up that, you know, here's something to know about working with this person that, you know, they really don't like a lot of fluff and details, get to the bottom line with them. And that's really, really helpful information if you don't know that. So even if you're an experienced person, if you don't if you haven't connected with some of the other people in the organization, or if you haven't interacted with certain customers before, if it's a customer relationship, helping people to navigate some of that, giving them a heads up, that is huge. That's huge to help people to make progress. And again, not to eliminate obstacles, but to help people anticipate the obstacles that they're going to see so they can be much more likely to, when they get there, go, oh yeah, this is what they were saying. I know exactly how I'm going to work through this. The other thing too, equipment 
room, resources, lab time. You wouldn't believe how many times major projects are delayed or stopped or missed deadlines because someone didn't schedule a room or schedule the lab time that was needed or (laughs) alert other people in the organization that this particular resources was needed on this particular day uh, or by this particular person. And all of a sudden, all this amazing planning that's been done and all this uh, pre-work kind of gets thrown out the window because the, the the like this basic resource wasn't available on that particular time or day. And so at the you know at the very least, you know, make people aware of some of these things even if you don't have answers for them, you know, say you know that there's lab time that's needed and you don't know how that's going to happen, tell that to the person up front. Hey, you know, I know you're going to need lab time during this project and I know you're going to need it this month. We don't have that resource available right now, so we're going to need to figure that out as we go along this project. So plan time to start thinking about that and let's figure out who we need to talk to to make sure that that is uh that that's not an obstacle for you. So there you go. There's the seven steps that will help you to delegate. Now again, if you follow these seven, it's not going to ensure that you're going to have a perfect result of the project. By no means is that assured. But what it is going to ensure is that communication's happening. That's what's key is we want to make sure that communication's happening. And if we start off with step 1, by looking at what success looks like first for ourselves and thinking who's the right person, step two, then when we get to step three, we're really clear about the expectations that we have for the project. And then, of course, step four, have that person go plan the project. Um, They may do some of that with you, but again, they're driving it. They may go talk to other people in the organization. They may talk to someone who's done that, that kind of project before. They may go talk to the customer, so they do the planning. Step five, they come back, review it with you. You sign off on it. Step six, both of you come to the milestone agreement together. What kind of communication is going to happen? What does this look like? What are we both comfortable with? And then step seven, provide access to resources. So speaking of access to resources, here's a resource for you. I have prepared a quick download, just a little PDF, one page with these seven steps all listed uh, on the page. It's real simple. And so you can download it to your desktop and use it wherever. And if you're in the pra- practice of or process right now, of maybe delegating something or planning out something to delegate, um, this would be a helpful tool to pull down. So here's the link. I'll put it on the show notes as well. But just go to coachingforleaders.com slash delegate. So again, that's coachingforleaders.com slash delegate, and that'll download the PDF to you. And uh, feel free to use that if that's helpful. And of course, you can refer back to the details here on the show notes. You know, this isn't easy stuff. You know, the seven-step process, there's a lot of nuance in here, right? So, you know, talking about, okay, uh, well, establishing milestones, uh, you know, how often, when should I? That's going to come with time as you do this. You're going to make mistakes as a manager every time you delegate something. I have never delegated something and not made a mistake where I've gone back and think like, okay, I should have said this, I should have said that. But here's the thing. This is a starting point. So the more you do this, though, the better you'll get. You'll make better decisions as you have more experience. Talk to the people who have done it before. They'll help you along your path, too. So there's not a perfect path to doing this, but this framework will get you started. And by the way, I'd love to hear about what questions you have and what obstacles you're running into on delegation because um, but potentially I can help. And I'll be happy to address those questions on a future episode here coming up. Or if we've got enough of them, we'll do a whole episode on questions on delegation. But here's the place to send those questions is go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That's a great place to 
uh, leave questions for a future show or questions you have about delegation. And if you have a comment on anything I've mentioned in this show, or maybe you have something you've thought of that's worked great for you that you think would be helpful to others, I would love it if you'd go put that on the page too, because by no means is this the entire list. There's many other things to think of too. I just think these are the key ones, but please do add that in. And the best way to do that is just to comment on the show directly. And you can do that by going to coachingforleaders.com slash 117. That'll take you to the notes for this show. And you can also reach me by phone too on our feedback hotline. That's 949 Three eight learn. Hey, a couple of quick things before I let you go this week. Uh, just a huge welcome to those of you who have been on the Lift Coaching Plan. A few episodes back, on episode I think it was one fifteen, I had Tony Stubblebine on, who was the uh, who who is the founder of Lift, and we talked about the coaching plan that I had put together and is now up and running on their platform, and it's called Become a More Respected Manager. And yes, that was episode one fifteen. Just looking here right now, and uh, we've had a couple hundred people actually already who are part of that plan that I originally put together. And so uh, welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time and found the podcast as a result of that plan. And if that's something that sounds of interest to you, and if you haven't checked out Lyft yet, again, it's at lyft.do, and you can get to the coaching plan for becoming a more respected manager at coachingforleaders.com slash Lift, L-I-F-T, that'll get you there. Hey, I want to say thank you this week to a whole bunch of folks who have uh, subscribed to my weekly updates. I mentioned last week I was changing the format, so I'd love your feedback on if you like the new format or if you don't or there's something you think should change there. If you're a subscriber to the weekly update, uh, hit reply when you see it next time. Let me know what you think, um, and I'd love your feedback. And a thank you this week to a bunch of folks Jewel Gaspard, William Leite, Einer Lund Sorensen. Einer, it was great to chat with you over email uh, this past week or so. Hal Plitt, Ian Williamson, Russell Van Hoos, Karen Sato, Christy Moore, Samedhara Ayara. Oh, I didn't get that right. Sumidhara Ayara. Ugh. Uh, sorry, <laughs> email me, tell me how to pronounce your name and I'll get it. Uh, I'll get it right. And I'll say it again. Alicia Yancic, Alicia, it's great to get reconnected with you. Angela Robb, Caroline Doran, Lusa Bandolfo, Thomas Rackman, David Jones. Hey, David, good to hear from you. Tara Carlson, Jose Torres, Kumar Vis, Lisa Beatty, Paco Lolo, and Ted Wawarzniak. I hope I got that right, Ted. Uh, thank you for subscribing to my weekly update this past week. I do publish one email each Wednesday that will give you a booster shot between shows on how to lead better by giving you actionable advice to improve your communication, human relations, or personal productivity. And now it's also including the notes from this show. So all the links I mentioned are going to be in there as well. So if you'd like to get that in your inbox, just go to Coaching for Leaders dot com slash subscribe plus you'll get instant access to my video overview and downloadable guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others i mentioned one of them in this episode drive by daniel pink and there's nine others too i think will be really helpful to you hey a huge thank you this week to jamie sosa jamie it was great to talk to you by phone this week and i really appreciate the very kind written review you left on iTunes. So thank you, Jamie, for that. And I'm looking forward to our future dialogue. Hey, if this show has been helpful to you, would you take two minutes this week 
to write a written review either on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can do that on, depending on which directory you listen through. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. And that's a, a great way for more people to find the show and for us to continue to grow our community here. Hey, have a great week and look forward to talking with you online.